You're listening to Bitcoin, Blockchain and the Technologies of Our Future with Naomi Brockwell. Welcome everyone, it's the Crypto Lark and I'm joined today by Naomi Brockwell. How's it going? It's going pretty well over here. We've got so much to talk about and there's been so much happening in the news recently. And one of the things that we've been seeing a real trend towards is more and more kind of institutional players starting to get into crypto. I mean, we had E-Trade, who was rumored to be doing something. We had Ameritrade last week, who was kind of caught with, you know, experimenting with paper trading for Bitcoin, Litecoin, and all this stuff. And then we have Bact, and then we have Fidelity, and, and on and on and on and on it goes. Futures contracts, I mean, there was a day when the CME did more in volume in futures contracts then the biggest spot price exchange, which was Binance, did on the day by about $100 million. So my question to wow. you is, do you think that Bitcoin is very quickly becoming too institutionalized? I think that's a great question. I think you have to, I mean, what does institutionalized mean? Does that create barriers to other usage? There, there are a lot of things that come along with something becoming more institutionalized. And I think that a lot of people had their eyes on traditional finance. Some people were thinking, oh, this is going to be great because this will bring more liquidity in. This will bring a lot of money. This is, you know, this is going to be what makes it go to the moon. And that was kind of half the people. And then the other half was saying, like, this has nothing to do with traditional finance. This was created to get away from traditional finance we don't want what happened we don't want what happened there to happen in crypto let's try and stay away from this and there are pros and cons to traditional finance getting involved what's happening in, in america is lobbyists really rule everything right and they have a lot of control over what happens in terms of regulation and so if you have people who are crypto friendly fighting on crypto's behalf, that could possibly be a good thing because politicians don't really like crypto. There's no reason for them to. Um, either the banks, it's a threat to them or they're involved with it. If they're involved, they're more likely to try to, you know, find things that are, are crypto friendly. But then you have the regulatory capture side of things where the big financial institutions try to implement rules that create barriers to entry for the smaller companies. That's what I'm most afraid of. I'm most afraid of the regulatory capture that happens when you have something like Fidelity coming in or JP Morgan mm -hmm. coming in and saying, hey, government, we need these rules. We need, you know, to institute third party rules where, uh, you know, normal people can't have custody of their assets. <laughs> you need these third parties like us to hold it to protect people because we're licensed, you know, we're regulated, that big R word, that magic word, regulated, and that means that we have to protect everyone. unsophisticated investors. Exactly. And so that's what I'm most worried about. And I think that's a huge threat to crypto, actually. And I don't see it as a, a plus at all. So although there may be some um, uh, good things on the periphery, you know, if, if there are players trying to make the, the world a more crypto friendly place, that could be could be good. But I'm not sure that it's going to be to the advantage of it all the players. I think it's just going to be to the big institutions who can afford the compliance costs, who can, you know, afford to hire a trillion lawyers to navigate this crazy complex regulatory environment. So, I mean, I, at the end of the day, I think that crypto is created in such a way that it 
can circumvent a lot of this stuff. So crypto will always be useful in that way. You know, it can't be censored, it can't be controlled, but the government can do a real good job at trying. So, yeah. so we'll always have the option, but I do worry that um, we're looking at, a, at, at the world kind of evolving where it's just going to be really gummed up and uh, it's not going to be this mainstream freedom tool that we probably want it to be. I think that people like fringe cases will use that they'll probably use privacy coins and things for that or um you know privacy second layer functions mm. on top of bitcoin things like that and uh that's really where we're at we're going to have this very institutionalized sector using cryptocurrency and that's obviously the future obviously money and security everything is going to become digital and they're going to be using blockchain tech to do it but then i think that there is definitely a space for continued fringe use but that may be all all people use it for you know that may be the only demographic that uses it you know people who are concerned about freedom who are concerned about freedom of speech who have financial autonomy financial privacy unfortunately that's not a large amount of the population across no, the world no no really isn't. a lot of people don't care about that i mean look at how many people willingly give away everything on facebook and you realize people aren't that concerned about privacy and we're talking about facebook but let's talk about the people who willingly give away all of their data by using credit cards for everything yeah, yeah, who don't use cash purchases mm -hmm. i mean the banks that's where they make a huge amount of their money by selling that's your right. data and saying well we know exactly where she buys everything naomi goes to you know this cafe every morning and buys oh, avocado yeah. toast like you know oh, they, they're, they're slaying us aren't they these banks I mean, just think about it. not only are they selling our data and selling all this information about us, but they're also charging crazy amounts of interest on the credit cards and the yeah. mortgages and then you know they steal everything from you and yeah. commit all this cr and that's not enough they have to then go and commit a whole giant pile of crime on top of that you know Absolutely. doing you know money you laundering for al-qaeda and stuff like this and wow the, then the you've crazy also stuff the Fed, like just coming into cahoots with them as well that are creating all this stuff on top of it so the, the fed's setting interest rates so low so there's not even a perk of really keeping your money in a bank account because it's not like you're earning interest on it any anymore mm -hmm. because the interest rates are just set so low so you know like i i just don't see the benefit of going through that system uh, at the moment, like when you're talking about online purchases, yeah, it made sense to use a credit card. But now if you have cryptocurrency, that may be a better option for people so your data isn't tracked. Yeah, when I can, I do, without a doubt. And, you know, unfortunately, not enough places accept it yet, but right. it's important to support the people who do. I, I really believe in that. If you have a local business or even an online business that you're, you're friendly with or you use on a semi-regular basis, whatever it might be, Paying crypto if yeah. you can. I know for a lot of people that's a hard thing because the pizza problem and all this stuff. Like, course, guys, yeah. you can't be afraid to, you know, spend a couple bucks once in a while. I want to come back a little bit to this institutional idea. And I actually was thinking while you were talking, it's almost a bit of a Trojan horse inviting all the institutions. And in. this is something I've always thought about yeah. Wall Street in general is that they are not our friends. No. <laughs> nothing that they nothing they do is friendly towards anyone who is not them. And even then they hate each other and always are trying to, you know, cloak and dagger each other all the time. Right. And I think you brought up a really good point about, you know, whether it's me Fidelity or someone else, but them actually kind of starting to push towards this regulatory conformity. Well, Bitcoin's only for sophisticated accredited investors. And so exactly. all exchanges now have to enforce this accredited investor thing. And that would cut out players like Coinbase, which have spent a lot, you know, a lot of time and energy bringing crypto to the masses, whereas Fidelity, they're all about their big clients, right? And you look at the other guys backed, Back's not going to be for regular people. Now, look, Ameritrade and E-Trade, they are for a wider audience. So seeing those guys get in, I'm less worried about because I look at those more as kind of just marketplaces. 
And it's just another form of an exchange in the same way we saw like Robinhood come in. You can trade stocks or you can trade Bitcoin and Ethereum or Litecoin, whatever it's going to be. But you do have to take these big players with a big grain of salt because they're not our friends. Yeah, absolutely. You got to think of, of them the same way that you think about a lot of these government players coming in. Like they're, they're not our friends. You know, you have vested interests that are protecting their position right now. This is not people coming in to save the day and bringing in more liquidity and, you know, helping this go to the moon. You know, there may be some uh, on the periphery, as I mentioned, some positive externalities of this happening. But I would bet that the negative externalities are going to far outweigh those. So I think we should be very careful. And luckily, there are just some really smart people in the space who are constantly improving on the tech and creating more tools to give people financial autonomy and privacy. And as long as, as you said, we're supporting the people who are doing this and creating market signals saying, yes, we do want these things, you know, um, I think that that's really great. And I know we're going to be talking later on about Binance launching their decks. I think things like that are really exciting, having mm -hmm. more decentralized exchanges where people do have more of that freedom. I think that's a, a very exciting direction to be going in. And as long as people constantly innovating in that way, um, then we'll probably stay a few steps ahead, but it'll only ever be a few. That's <laughs> like, right. And it's a constant it's game. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like we can just rest on our laurels and say, yes, we achieved the freedom. We are done. Yeah, it's not really how it works. Now, I remember reading something from uh, Fluffy Pony one time, and he said that uh, basically, and this could apply to the same thing we were just saying, is that privacy is a never-ending game. You're only ever able to stay a couple of steps ahead because the other guys are always working to get ahead of you. And uh, it was kind of a paraphrase, but that's the general idea, and it's so true. Now, we mentioned regulations. I think this is a good uh, moment to sort of move into that, and we'll end up talking about Tether a bit maybe on the back end of this too. But the regulations we're seeing right now, it's it's one of these, again, I think I feel as much of what we just said with that institutional conversation really comes into the regulation conversation is that our regulation's a good thing or a bad thing. We see India right now, for example, there's some rumors which I would suspect are likely to be true rumors considering how in the past the key financial organizations in India have been very anti-crypto, you know, particularly the decentralized ones, right? There's been talk mm -hmm. of the digital rupee, which of course would be a centralized coin that they control the emission of and accounts of and all that fun stuff, right? But that's that's almost not interesting to me at all versus something like Bitcoin, which they can't control and thus is a threat to their power as institutions. So we see India discussing a potential ban, which would be yeah. dramatic uh, on the same level that it was dramatic for China. Maybe not quite as dramatic as the Indian market, is not quite as big, but still, it would be bad when it comes down. Mm -hmm. And then we see other countries like Finland, who just passed some new regulations, and their regulations were kind of the same as what France did. And they basically said that, hey, we really want crypto businesses to come here. You want to launch your ICO in France? Awesome. We're going to give you a special visa for your crypto company. Or you want to have an exchange here in France? Great. All you have to do is register with us and we're going to ensure that you have access to the banking infrastructure as part of that deal. So, I mean, that feels like really positive regulation. So what are your thoughts on this? I mean, obviously regulation and compliance are these kind of dirty words in my mind, but at the same time, like that kind of regulation doesn't seem bad. Well, I mean, you, when you say like, well, that's positive regulation. It's like, yeah, because they're giving you the permission to do the things that you should already be able to do. Like, it's amazing how happy we get when it's like, oh my God, the government did a reasonable thing. This is fantastic. What great regulation. And it's it's like, just so rare. Well, 
it's, it's amazing how we've just normalized a situation where nothing is allowed unless we've been given explicit permission. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea that when Jay Clayton was saying, well, how do we know what's a security and what's not? You guys won't give us clear guidance. And his response was, you should just presume that everything is a security if you're not sure. And it's like, <laughs> well, of course every government body wants to think like that. They all want to say, just presume that you're in our jurisdiction uh, if, if you're unsure. It's just kind of this crazy situation we're in. But as you said, I mean, there are definitely places around the world that are more crypto-friendly and they're recognising that if they open their doors, then this is a giant industry that really it's burgeoning at the moment it's we're just seeing it start to blossom and see starting to see the potential of this industry the incredible number of jobs that have been created uh the incredible amount of, of wealth that's been created it's it's quite incredible so i really like the idea of different countries recognizing that and not self-sabotaging which i see places like new york doing where mm. they oh, institute crazy. a bit license everyone leaves because it's just not good for crypto businesses it's it's terrible you know how many have they issued now like 18 bit licenses over five six years like it's it's incredible how few businesses are, are in new york whereas on the other side of things you've got bermuda and malta and gibraltar and you said that finland's looking at some interesting things and and France is doing some interesting things. I mean, I think that America, really, if they're worried about losing their, their stronghold in the global economy as being like, you know, numero uno, then I, I think that they're going about it the wrong way. They're going about it by saying, well, we're going to stop it and kill it because crypto might kill us. And so let's just stop it in its tracks instead of saying this is this inevitable thing everyone's going to be going on. And it, unless we open the doors, other people are going to open the doors. So they're really just letting other people come in and take that mantle right now. And it's interesting, too, of course, because the United States is this big regulatory mess where you have one guy who's trying to say what everyone should do. And then you have 50 different guys who are the states right, in that situation. Right. all say, no, we're going to do something kind of different sometimes. And yeah, so we have yeah. seen that happen in, in the U.S. where you know, New York has been quite draconian in its approach. And then we have like Wyoming, which is saying like, kick the doors wide open. Let's get all the crypto businesses in here. We're going to do everything we can to invite those businesses in and um, there's some others that are f kind of following suit. I know Colorado either has passed or is in the process of looking at some very crypto kind of friendly regulations. So, you know, those are positive things. I, I guess we'll see what comes out of that. But I, I definitely agree with that unless the U.S. kind of really, you know, makes some effort to continue to be that leader, um, you know, technology wise, we are going to see uh, these businesses simply go to France and stay in France, go to Malta and stay in Malta, go to Russia and stay in okay. Russia. Russia's doing a lot in terms of uh, regulation as well. And they, of course, in terms of Eastern Europe, um, they have a massive developer scene over there that will be inviting in these projects, and especially if they can get, again, regulatory approval. And it's so funny. It's like you say, it's, it's why do we have to ask permission for these things? But the reality is, is that, and it's a, it's a sucky reality, but the reality is that so long as we continue to go out and, you know, vote for governments and pay our tax money and all this stuff, those people are going to be there and they're going to want, you know, respect my authority kind of stuff, <laughs> exactly. right? And, and exactly. it's better for them to come in and say, we're really welcoming of this. We really want this to happen. We want to encourage this in whatever way we can as a government versus like cracking down on it, especially not in the way that we're seeing being proposed in India, and especially not the way that we've seen in China, which is, is, is crazy. And of course, the funny thing about China is that they weren't able to stop it. 
that this this thriving black market now exists in China where, you know, Chinese Bitcoiners are paying a premium so they can get their Bitcoin. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's what's exciting about cryptocurrency. That's what people have been saying from the beginning, because it's not a matter of saying, oh, will the government allow this? Will they not allow this? This is something that exists regardless of what governments say. And I think that is the uh, primary power of cryptocurrency, of Bitcoin. Uh, We haven't had that before. Before, we've had so many different types of competing currencies in existence. We've had all kinds of digital currencies. We've had things that can do the things that Bitcoin can do and, and they're great and they've just been shut down. You know, they just haven't worked or they haven't gotten the network effect to be able to keep going because people are like, well, the government's going to shut us down. I don't want to buy into something that they're just going to make illegal. Suddenly we have something that can't be shut down. And I think that that's the primary power of this. And I mean, this may only ever just apply to a fringe sector of society who are interested in that stuff, but that's still substantial. We saw that Bitcoin works as a currency when it was basically just being used on Silk Road. It worked. People recognized that this had value they recognized that if they accepted this currency they could then sell it later because Mm -hmm. there was enough market demand for it that's all you need for this to be functional and to be useful for people and we've already proven that you know over and over again so it doesn't matter to me what governments say at the end of the day you know if china says oh we ban this if india says oh we ban this because First of all, I mean, there are competing jurisdictions all over the world. So if as long as it's uh, allowed in one country <laughs> in mm. the world, then this is, is going to be fine. And even if it's not allowed in any country, let's say they all band together, and I know this is something that Japan is looking at at the moment, they all band together and say, let's create this global decision that we'll all get on the same page and we'll treat cryptocurrency exactly the same way so there are no loopholes. Let's say by some you know, crazy miracle that happens and Russia decides to agree with America and China and, you know, all the countries mm-hmm. just like, oh, we are all on the same page. You know, Cuba's <laughs> like, I agree with you, in the United States. <laughs> it, I mean, it, and some, if by some miracle that happens, it doesn't need government permission in order to operate. There are so many ways that this can continue to operate. Like governments can slow it down. They can you know, put probes on IP addresses and, and monitor usage and, and, you know, track things down. But there are so many different ways that people are coming up with alternative internet systems and mm. all of these different ways that this could still continue to thrive. So we have not seen, um, I mean, we've only just seen the beginning of, of cryptocurrency and what power this could give to people. Yeah, absolutely. And I- Governments aren't going to be able to stop it. And that's, that's kind of the funny thing is that you, you brought up a good point. We are having, you know, we're reimagining the way the internet works, which is a fundamental shift in, in everything that we've understood about the internet up until this point. And if you go back to when the internet was started and the people who started the internet, they never wanted it to end up like this necessarily with this, all these walled gardens, stealing all your data. It's, it's, it's big government's biggest gift ever, the current internet. Oh my gosh, government couldn't get away with it by you know passing these things. And so they just go through this private company as well, like, of my own volition, please have all of this information <laughs> about myself. And the government says, thank you. Uh, so, I mean, we've really done this to ourselves and haven't quite realized the effect that this is going to mm. have in terms of monitoring people, tracking them, um, curtailing their decisions and all of that. I think it's something really important that people need to be more cognizant of. And if you look at these giant private companies, I mean, yes, they are private companies, but the level of interoperability of of closeness between these private companies and government organizations is scary on a lot of levels. I think it's um, is Facebook on the Atlantic Council, which is like funded by the CIA and the Gulf monarchies and stuff like this. And it's just 
it's some scary stuff when you when you start to see how embed with each other they are. Absolutely. It's um I mean we look I look down on places like Australia that have really destroyed encryption and said, Hey, we have the right to, to you know, to access all your devices and to force you and to put back doors and things and fine you hundreds of millions of dollars if you don't comply, you know, companies. And that for me is crazy. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean we can't be so angry at that happening like that I mean they're very open about it but then you have American government that's doing all the same things but they're just doing it in a more closed off way mm. in part I kind of a prefer the closed off way because at least there's some semblance like we haven't normalized the idea of government just stealing all of our data there's still yeah. kind of a little bit of pushback like they have to hide it because the you know the culture hasn't accepted it yet i prefer that system to what's happening in australia where people are like oh encryption i think i heard something about that don't really mind you know i did not see the pushback i trust the like, government I trust the government. They've got my best interests at heart. And, uh, you know, that to me is is really sad and I wish it wasn't like that. Um, and I wonder if people will wake up too late uh, realising, yeah. you know, what they, they've done. So as long as there's somewhere in the world that still respects these freedoms and can push back against the bullying. I mean, we've seen Ecuador crumble before. There was sort of this bastion of we're not going to be bullied by the American government. We're going to stand up. And Julian Assange could seek refuge in the middle of Britain, in the middle of London. He could seek refuge. And that was, you know, that was amazing. Then you have this new regime that's like, oh, we don't mind being bullied by the US. Also, thank you, IMF, for that billion-dollar loan <laughs> that you've just given us in exchange for Julian Assange. That didn't so, influence like, our decision at all. Not at all. So there is, you know, there, it's a sad set of affairs when you don't have people standing up for what's right. But then again, America is incredibly powerful. And I, um, it makes sense that people are buckling under the pressure because mm -hmm. it's scary. It's scary. Absolutely. And well, I saw something recently and it's, it's interesting um, about the ability of cryptocurrencies to actually provide an international level playing field for actors because I saw recently that the United States is revoking um, sanction waivers to South Korea, Turkey, Japan, uh, China, and India. Now, China and India don't really care because they're big enough economies that they don't necessarily, especially China, isn't going to be bullied like that by the U.S., but we have to keep it real that South Korea, Turkey, and um, Japan uh, are much more susceptible to those levers of power and yeah. basically the u.s is telling japan that it's no longer allowed to buy oil from iran or that it'll be facing sanctions itself from the u.s i mean that that's a broken international financial system when you have these these countries doing this and look i mean people people can fall on all sides of um the coin here in terms of the political situation and there's been a lot of misinformation about that but the my baseline on all these things always comes back to what's providing the most freedom, right? And that's actually decentralization and all the trouble that decentralization can bring with it. People are going to do bad things, but people are going to do mostly good things Absolutely. when we give them the freedom to do this. And every time we let governments do these kind of things, we're saying, just take away a little bit more of my freedom, a little yeah. more of my freedom every single I mean, time. There's this false idea that, you know, you create a law and the bad guys are going to follow it. No, it's the good guys that are getting hurt. It's mm -hmm. their prosperity that's being cur curtailed. It's their innovation that's being hampered. The bad guys are going to go, 
it's a law. What do I care about laws? I'm a bad guy. I don't listen yeah, to laws. Right. You know, they're going to find a way around it. So, I mean, you're going to have bad things happening regardless of whether there's regulation or not. And I think that regulation for most people is just this crutch. It's this thing that makes them feel good. You know, oh, we tried. At least we did something. And they're not looking at the actual outcomes of what these policies do, you know. Um, there are lots of unintended consequences and it really hurts people. But they're unseen consequences and that's what's hurt, what, what hurts the most. You know, they're dispersed costs and whereas you know the the good things about this are really concentrated you can see the benefits and it's like oh we're going to stop the terrorists uh, you know that's in name that sounds great and mm. when you put that to the floor of congress and you say we're going to stop the terrorists that sounds great you give that to the media and you say we're going to stop the terrorists oh everyone cheers yes we're going to do something <laughs> you look at the outcomes of these things and whether they actually do what they they plan and then you, all of the people that are being, being hurt you don't hurt, hear from them it's all dispersed costs it's all people just incrementally losing their freedoms mm -hmm. so it's this huge imbalance in what's happening and it's just creeping towards ever more totalitarian regimes that's the direction we're going in 1984 is not an instruction manual oh my gosh actually yeah. the, the snowden leaks actually really proved that that um you know they had all this incredibly advanced spy stuff which you know that was years ago now so i can only imagine how much more advanced it is oh, now but, but back oh when God. but back when that was happening you know the the official statements well, we're doing this in your protect against terrorism all this stuff but snowden revealed that well, what were they actually doing they were actually spying on activists who were doing things like trying to protect the environment they were actually okay. you know doing corporate espionage for american companies trying to you know get better deals when they're dealing with foreign governments and stuff like this they're spying on their girlfriends oh and stuff like God. this this is what was happening this is what mostly that technology is being used for they were ugly terrorists who cares about terrorists we're here to make money yeah. and that's crazy the video version of this episode, please visit Naomi Brockwell TV on YouTube, BitChute or Library.io. A huge thank you to my Bitbacker and Patreon supporters. And thanks to you for listening to this episode of Bitcoin, Blockchain and the Technologies of Our Future with Naomi Brockwell. Hey, I'm a Bitcoin, staring, I'm staring the status quo. Got that